0: Hello from the California Lawyers Association Annual Meeting 2018 in beautiful San Diego. I'm Jim Hamm, your host. I'm Neil Wirtlib. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Hey, thanks so much uh, for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here. Today, we're talking about the new California Rules of Professional Conduct, which are going to uh, become effective in November of this year. Lots of lawyers are interested in this. Neil, I know your program is a sellout. Uh, I had to have a card to get into it, so it's going to be a packed audience. would love to hear a little bit about that. But before we get there, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Neil.
1: Well, thank you, Jim, I appreciate it. I've been involved in the Ethics Bar here in California for over a dozen years. I served on the State Bar's Ethics Committee uh, and chaired that committee. Uh, I'm now the chair of the Los Angeles County Bar Association's Ethics Committee, where I know you're a member uh, and we've gotten to know each other. And um, I'm the principal of Wirtleave Law Corp, where I do primarily expert witness work, focusing in on business transactions or disputes related to business transactions and also lawsuits against attorneys, including for violation of the rules of professional conduct. How long have you been doing that, Neil? Uh, It's now been 10 years since my first engagement as an expert witness, but I retired from Milbank Tweed as a corporate partner at the end of 2016, and I've been working
0: pretty much on expert witness work since then. Great. Fabulous. Uh, I'm glad to let the audience know a little bit about you. And uh, now let's go uh, talk about these interesting changes that are coming up with the uh, the new rules of professional conduct. Uh, I mentioned that they're going uh, into effect in November of this year. And uh, let's start off by asking you, what do you think is the biggest change uh, in the new rules?
1: That's a tough question. In my presentation, to give a little preview on it, I do focus on what I think are the most important changes or the rules that have the most practical effect on attorneys generally. And while the California Supreme Court approved 69 new rules to to replace our 46 current rules, there's no way to talk about all 69 in an hour presentation. And I think quite a few of them don't involve changes that will have a practical effect on most attorneys in the state. There are three, though, that I talk about that I think are really important, in part because they were so controversial as they were being approved. And just as a footnote, I just uh, want to pay you a compliment, Jim. You were involved in the commission that helped prepare the rules and wrote the rules and solicited public comment on them as well. So I'm honored to be interviewed by somebody who's, who's so well-renowned in the ethics community. So the three that I, that I focus on are uh, sexual relations with client, uh, which I think was controversial as it was being considered. And it's important because it is a total prohibition on any sexual relationship between an attorney and a client, whereas prior to the change, prior to November 1st, what was prohibited in terms of conduct of attorneys was a sexual relationship that was somehow abusive in some sense, that an attorney demanded a sexual relationship in exchange for legal services, for example, uh, or exerting undue influence, something abusing the attorney-client relationship no more there's now a bright line test that's one of the three rules that i think is the most controversial the second relates to unlawful discrimination and now the state bar court will have original jurisdiction to rule on what might be unlawful discrimination harassment or retaliation whereas previously that is up through november 1st no discipline could be imposed unless and until a court with original jurisdiction outside of the state bar court had reached such a finding of unlawful conduct. The third area, which personally I find the most controversial or potentially disruptive, is the change in the rules related to client trust accounts. Client trust accounts beginning on November 1st must be used for advanced fees. So an attorney who takes a retainer for fees today need not put those funds into their client trust account. Well, it's probably good practice to do so. They're not obligated to do so, and, and they would not be subject to discipline for failing to do so. But come November 1st, you better comply with the new rule, which requires that advance fee retainers, until they're earned, must sit in a client trust account.
0: Well, that last change seems like one that may affect more lawyers uh, than the other two. Uh, certainly. We've seen sexual relations cases, but not very many of them over the years. And uh, what do you say uh, to the people, the critics who say, well, this is just another example of California being the nanny state?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the state is properly focused on protecting clients and ensuring the sanctity, if you will, of the attorney-client relationship for the benefit of clients. Uh, And certainly the change effective November 1st, requiring that advance fee retainers be put into a client trust account. That's for the for the protection of clients. And I think that's an important and positive change. My concern with that is simply that it's a change in the rules. And if I know you're like this, Jim, but for those in our audience who are ethics geeks, who read the, the discipline report at the back of the California Lawyer magazine every month, you'll notice that at least half of those cases relate to mismanagement of client funds so that it could quite well be that well-intentioned, otherwise ethical attorneys who never needed a client trust account before and certainly didn't need to put their advance fee retainers into a client trust account may find that come November 1st, they've got a problem for lack of compliance and may be subject to discipline.
0: Okay, so the takeaway on the sexual relations rule is that... uh... If you're a lawyer and you have a client that you have some romantic interest uh, in, maybe the thing to do is to uh, terminate that relationship and pursue your personal interests separately from your law practice.
1: That's one approach. The other approach is to start the sexual relationship before you begin the attorney-client relationship, uh, which, at least as written,
0: that's permitted under the rule as well. I, I often like to tell my clients to keep their business and personal lives separate in the long run they're probably better off. That is excellent advice. I would agree with that. Let's talk about the unlawful discrimination uh, issue. You know, we're living today in a, in a world where uh, this is a real hot-button issue. There's been a lot of interest and focus across the country on these kinds of issues, uh, which deserve it. And here in California, as you mentioned, we used to have a rule that said you basically had to prove your case in court before you come to the state bar and ask that a lawyer be disciplined. And now under this new rule, the state bar can initiate an investigation into claims of unlawful discrimination, a wide variety, by the way, of unlawful discrimination. And uh, they are able to initiate, as you said, original proceedings. Do you have any concept or any idea about uh, how this may affect the workload at the state bar? My hunch would be this is going to create quite a backlog at the California state bar.
1: Hopefully the, the state will devote resources to properly trained state bar court judges on discrimination issues and to have the proper staffing in order to, to make these uh, determinations.
0: Yeah, I think that's particularly important because I remember on the commission, one of the concerns of the commission was uh, the training and experience necessary to handle some of these more complex discrimination cases. You've got a whole universe of law out there that relates to uh, unlawful discrimination, and that's a whole other layer of uh, uh, substantive law that uh, the state bar judges, who are professional judges, are going to have to master, and as well as the people who appear in front of them. Right, exactly.
1: I think that is a potential concern. On the other hand, as I understand it, there have been very few prosecutions or cases for discipline against attorneys for unlawful discrimination, probably due to the fact that civil cases settle or, or they're never filed. So a former client or an employee of a law firm... If they feel that they've been discriminated against on an unlawful basis, under the current rules, they would have to file a civil suit, which makes it public. Uh, they would have to prosecute that suit, and that suit would have to not settle in order for there to then be a referral to the disciplinary process. And I think, like most litigation, it's they, cases settle before they reach a final verdict. And perhaps for these types of cases... Plaintiffs are reluctant to even file the complaint in the first place. But under this new rule, a complaint can be filed on a confidential basis, it can be investigated on a confidential basis, and then and only then is there uh, a potential for discipline without the need to go through a civil complaint.
0: Well, and I suppose that if you're one of those individuals who uh, has found yourself in, uh, as a target of one of these unlawful discrimination cases, one of the things you'll be thinking about are the possible collateral estoppel or res judicata effects of a negative uh, finding by right. clearing convincing evidence uh, in the state bar court and how that could affect uh, you and civil proceedings down the road. And exactly. it, of course, you can't settle a state bar discipline case uh, without uh, typically without admitting some sort of culpability and, and admitting to the wrongdoing. So uh, that places a lawyer in a, a very tricky situation, it seems to me.
1: I think this is a rule to be watched, and we'll we'll have to wait and see how this plays out in the in the coming years. The the interesting thing, though, is most of the other states appear to have a similar rule or a rule that's similar to what our rule will become. So there is, there certainly is precedent out there. There's there's history, and the other states don't seem to have the types of problems that uh, we're anticipating here in California, or at least people were concerned about here in California.
0: Well, you're right about that, because I know that that was another issue that the commission looked at. And we realized, oh, there's uh, this rule applies across the country. We don't have these problems that uh, people are concerned about. And so maybe at the end of the day, we'll see the rules in California apply just like the rest of the states and and uh, uh, egregious cases uh, will be prosecuted and, uh, and the state bar will use its discretion in determining which of these cases uh, it should pursue whether they have merit uh, and uh, it may work very much like it does in the rest of the country let's change gears and talk about something that may be of uh, broader interest uh, to uh, our listening audience and that has to do with you know client trust accounts and safekeeping of funds and i know one of the things you mentioned was uh, that uh, in the old days uh, flat fee uh, here in california you could a lawyer could take and put it right into their operating account even though the work had not been completed. A lot of criminal lawyers, uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, often take flat fees, and they often uh, take those funds and put them directly in their operating account. And uh, similarly, around the United States, most jurisdictions uh, require those flat fees to be placed in a client trust account. And here, under our new Rule 1.15, as you mentioned, we've done the same thing. Are you comfortable with the exception which uh, has been added to the rules which allow a lawyer to... uh, to put in writing, that the uh, lawyer can take those funds and put them in their operating account with the client's consent? I think there's
1: an accommodation in in the new rule that does allow for attorneys to, with client consent, and after properly advising the client that they could require that the flat fee go into a client trust account, that with the client consent, those funds could be moved into the operating account. I think that's a fair compromise. It does put at risk that certain lawyers with certain clients may demand that they have that right and ability. Uh, and if the client doesn't consent, they may decline to take on the representation. Hopefully that doesn't preclude certain types of, of clients from legal representation, but it is an interesting compromise and I'm, I'm not offended by it.
0: Yeah, it seems to me the takeaway is that if a lawyer doesn't want to represent a client without having that flat fee in their operating account, then they're given that right contractually to require that or to suggest that the client find another attorney who's, who's willing to do it differently. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. Well, let's talk about a couple other things that I think may be of interest uh, to litigators especially. How about this idea of screening? You know, in California, uh, we've, we've tried over the years uh, to get the, the courts to recognize ethical screens as a way to address conflicts of interest. Uh, so that attorneys who move between firms, which, of course, in the last 20 years has become uh, commonplace, uh, how we protect uh, lawyers and their rights of mobility uh, versus the rights of clients to make sure that their confidential information is protected and that uh, their lawyer doesn't switch sides on them. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on on the new rules there? I think what you'll see in the new
1: rules is, for the first time, a, a recognition within the disciplinary system that screening actually works. Uh, There is case law in California that that supports the notion that, that a screen can be effective, but that's an issue that has not been addressed by the California Supreme Court, so it's not entirely clear what the status is under case law. But in any event, the case law applies primarily to questions about disqualification, not about discipline. And we now have, in the new rules, an acknowledgement that screening, under limited circumstances, screening can be effective to avoid the imputation of a conflict of interest so the attorney or law firm can proceed to represent a client, notwithstanding uh, a potential imputed conflict. I think that's a positive development. It'll be interesting to see how far that goes, uh, how it's implemented. It is, as I said, a a rather narrow application, but it'll be... um, hopefully one that might be expanded
0: over time. Yeah, I noticed under the new rules, we have a terminology and a definition section 1.0.1, and subsection K defines screening to mean the isolation of a lawyer from uh, any participation in a matter, including the timely imposition of procedures within a law firm that are adequate under the circumstances to protect information that the isolated lawyer is obligated to protect under the rules and to protect against the other law firm lawyers and non-lawyer personnel communicating with the lawyer with respect to the matter. Now, I guess you could say uh, narrowly that uh, here the California Supreme Court has acknowledged that uh, the proper implementation of a screen uh, would be a defense to a disciplinary charge based on conflict of interest. Do you agree? I would agree. I guess we'll have to wait and see whether the courts uh, take this nod in our rules of professional conduct as extending also into the arena of disqualification inside the judge's courtroom. Right. I wonder if we'll see situations where a judge mm-hmm. uh, notwithstanding a screen may, in the for purposes of disqualification, uh, decide that attorneys are disqualified uh, given their inherent authority to control the proceedings in their courtroom, and yet those lawyers will still have a defense to a disciplinary charge uh, based on the implementation of a screen. So you could find lawyers going into the state bar and saying, I I know I was disqualified, but my my screen was timely and it complied with the rules and uh, I shouldn't be disciplined even though I was disqualified. Right. And you're you're raising a, a really interesting question
1: here. There is a distinction between the rules of professional conduct, which can subject attorneys to discipline within the state and how they are treated in terms of civil uh, liability to clients, uh, as well as disqualification motions in, in litigation. So there is potentially some overlap, but the changes in the rules relate to rules of discipline and may subject attorneys to discipline. They're not necessarily binding in a malpractice action, for example, or a breach of fiduciary duty, uh, nor necessarily in connection with disqualification.
0: Well, Neil, uh, this has been interesting. There's so much to talk about, and, and I'm sure those people interested in this subject, and most California lawyers should be, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll pick up your uh, broadcast of, uh, of your program here at the California Lawyers Association meeting. Uh, it's packed. I have one last question for you before we close it up today, and that is, uh, if our listeners want to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Probably the best way
1: to reach me is through my website, which is wertlieblaw.com. W-E-R-T-L-I-E-B, law.com. Thank you, Jim.
0: Thank you. We've uh, reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank Neil Wertlieb for joining us today. Uh, I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate us uh, in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you have
1: heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com.